Long talked about carbon capture technology is here, and Lanzatech is already at work turning potential emissions into clothing, household goods, and sustainable fuels. SPAC Cash is a new propellant fueling this mix. Hello and welcome to another SPAC Insider podcast, where we bring an independent eye in interviewing the targets of SPAC transactions and their SPAC partners. I'm Nick Clayton, and this week we speak with Lanzatech CEO Dr. Jennifer Holmgren. Lanzatech announced a $1.7 billion combination with AMCI2 last March. Jennifer talks about how Lanzatech has structured its own business model to provide multiple channels of recurring revenues without being on the hook for all of the startup expenses from each new plant, as well as what new carbon-negative products you'll be seeing on shelves soon. Take a listen. And so carbon capture is a phrase that many people are familiar with, Jennifer, but it seems like a lot of people feel like the technology is always just more around the corner than it is with us right now. But Lanzatech is really doing quite a lot already. So just to start off, can you walk us through your operations right now? That's a great question, Nick. So the, the key thing to note is that our technology is already operating at commercial scale. We take gases from steel mills and ferroalloyed plants and are already producing significant amounts of ethanol from that. And we're scaling very quickly. We'll have more commercial plants running. So we are at scale and we've used that ethanol and recycled it to make polyester for Zara dresses, Lululemon running shorts, and a couple of Unilever detergents. And how does it work? <laughs> so you're used to, it's like a microbrewery. You're used to the fermentation of sugar, right? We don't ferment sugar. What we do is we ferment gases, gases that could come from a steel mill, gases that could come from a partial combustion of municipal solid waste trash, right? So anything we can turn into a gas that has hydrogen, carbon monoxide, and carbon dioxide, we have a bacteria that ferments it efficiently and makes ethanol. We're already working across the world, actually. We have uh, projects in Europe. The One of the plants that will start up in the first half of this year is the one with ArcelorMittal, uh, the largest steel company in the West, as you know. And there, we just had a big commissioning party in December. So that plant will be producing at commercial scale very soon. We're also working with Indian oil in India. So the bottom line is we've got multiple plants across the world in Canada, in Japan, that are also starting up in addition to Europe and India. So there's global opportunity. Everybody's really excited right now about what to do with waste. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. everybody wants to see it in their own jurisdiction. And so we're working everywhere where there there is a, a reason to be. Okay, great. And you mentioned some of those plant rollouts. Just real quickly, how do those in terms of break down financially for you in terms of the difference between what you're getting paid up front for licensing versus recurring revenue? moving forward for the company? Right. So we have uh, a few different sources of recurring revenue. One is once the commercial plant is up and running, we sell them bacteria. These are the bacteria that are the catalyst to do the conversion, right? So they're always buying bacteria. They're also buying proprietary media. If you will, inside the bioreactor, the bacteria is alive. And just like you and me, we don't just need a carbon source. We need vitamins and minerals, right? And so we sell them a proprietary mix of vitamins and minerals that goes in to help the bacteria keep doing its thing. We also sell automation software. So there's ongoing revenues. And the license is also an ongoing revenue. We risk share with our partners. So 
if the plant is doing very well and producing a lot of ethanol, we take a percentage of that as a function of time. And so that really helps to align the incentives for our partner and for ourselves to make sure that that plant is operating at peak performance. Right. And so just getting into how your plants work, what are your inputs typically and where are they coming from? The types of gases that we use are commonly byproducts of steel manufacture or ferroalloy manufacturing. These are carbon-rich gases where part of making carbon steel, for example. We also take gases from municipal solid waste. You, you know, municipal solid waste trash can be gasified. And so that's another place where we can get these gases. We can gasify agriculture residues, forest residues. All of these things can be inputs into our system. And so can CO2, whether it's at a flu or directly capture from the air. All of these things work. It's, it's a very broad platform that we have. So some of your key partnerships include Zara, Boeing, and Unilever, as you mentioned. Can you tell us a bit more about these partnerships and what else is in your pipeline? And just how broad is, is that portfolio? From how broad the portfolio is right now, we focused it on starting with ethanol. Ethanol to make polyester, ethanol to make polyethylene, ethanol to make um, surfactants and detergents and perfume. So we work with Cody on perfume, with Unilever on detergents, with Nadell Group on floor cleaners, uh, and Zara, as you said, on dresses. We work with Boeing and other partners like the Microsoft Climate Fund on aviation, sustainable aviation fuel. So we have quite a pipeline of partners working with us using our ethanol to make products. But what is really exciting is that longer term, when we make other chemicals, we will really expand that base. So while today we can make polyethylene, in the future, we'll be making polypropylene. So that is used in cars, right, for the dash, that is used for the caps of bottles. It, these are trillion dollar industries that we have access to with our technology. And I'm interested to hear what you have found to be the most interesting use case for your own technology. Which sector are you most excited to see using your own technology? I think apparel is one of the ones that's most exciting. You know, on shoes and Borealis are working with us on making the foam for the running shoes. Um, and you mentioned Zara, right? I, I think people's imaginations really get captured by clothing and apparel and the ability to make all of these things from waste carbon, I think is going to create a, a conversation piece, right? And if you do that, then people will start to see that everything we use in our lives doesn't have to come from fresh fossil carbon. That's what we're trying to show, that you can use the resources already above ground. Yeah, and, and kind of looking at that CapEx, this deal is going to bring in a lot of proceeds for the company, which I'm sure is going to help. You already have a, a pipeline of a lot that you're working on over the next couple of years, but just in general, what are some of the, the major criteria for your sites in terms of um, where you choose to, to locate plants or, or how you come about those locations? You know, What's going to be a determining factor moving forward? Well, I think the, the biggest factors, we're at the early stage of the company, right, where the capital and the operating costs are higher than they will be five years from now, right? That's exactly what happened in solar and everything else that comes down the cost curve. And so we tend to pick locations where we have low input costs, right? What is the gas cost? What does it cost to transport things around? What are the utilities, right? In a place where there's very high power prices, it's very expensive to run a compressor. 
So we try to run in low cost jurisdictions so that we can get the technology down the cost curve and then implement it in high cost jurisdictions. And so as you're moving along the completion process of the deal, what are some of the other benefits that you're looking forward to leveraging from being publicly listed? Well, first of all, I get to talk to new people like you. Accessing a, a new base of, of partners is important to us. Also, the public markets allow us to improve some of the way we finance. And the, the final thing, and the thing that's really important to me is Nick started by saying that carbon transformation is something people talk about, but we're actually doing it. I think it's really important that people not believe that these types of technologies are 10 years out. So if anything, I'd like to bring hope that there is actually a real company doing real things, building real plants, and that others can follow. Other startup companies can also build out new technology. And as I'm sure you already know, the Inflation Reduction Act was recently passed in August of last year. Is Lanza Tech ben benefiting at all from that? And how do some of the other macro trends impact your operations, like inflation and rates going up? To the IRA, I think the Inflation Reduction Act is brilliant because we use CO2 and there are big incentives to both using CO2, but also things that lower the cost of hydrogen. And so for us to convert CO2, it's good for us to have hydrogen as well. And so lower cost of hydrogen is really going to give us our ability to deploy. Also, there's a sustainable aviation fuel incentive, right? And we take ethanol and convert it to sustainable aviation fuel through our company Lanza Jet. And again, that incentive will help pull by driving the cost of sustainable aviation fuel down with the inflation reduction incentives, we'll be able to build more plants and it just drives the market. So there's a lot going on there. Inflation is um, another story, right? We put a lot of steel in the ground, right? And, and what inflation and supply chain constraints have done is they make it everything more expensive. It makes it more expensive for us to build commercial plants. And so there is definitely an impact. It means our partners have to put in more capital. And again, that's why things like the Inflation Reduction Act and all the other things around the world that are incentivizing these low carbon approaches makes up for it, right? Because capital is available or some other incentive is available that'll drive implementation of the technology, making up for the higher inflation, the higher steel prices. It's interesting. You have a lot on your plate with your current operations, but you know, as we've been watching the the growth of, of the service, the prevalence of SPACs really going up over the last few years, there's been a ton of sustainability SPACs. There's been a ton of green energy SPACs. I'm sure you've been contacted by a number of them. I'm just interested a bit in, in kind of how the deal came together and what were some of the, the qualities of the AMCI team that stood out to you and why ultimately did this seem like it was the right path to go forward as opposed to an IPO or, or some other continued private funding? Yeah, it's a great question. So AMCI actually has partners in the steel, in the ferro alloy, in some of these heavy industries that we operate in. So they bring new contacts for us, new ability for us to grow our business. And so actually it makes it a very ideal merger because we solve the heavy industry problem and they have a lot of heavy industry partners. So that that's actually how it came about. And because it is complementary, it is better than just an IPO where we don't bring in any partner and we just go to the market. So we're really excited about this combination. 
Yeah, and it's interesting because I, I think some of the strongest SPAC deals we've seen over the last few years have been in, in somewhat similar sustainable energy in terms of Archaea energy, just doing a sustainable natural gas and things like that. But it's also, we've also seen the SPAC market in general get more yeah. difficult over the, for the past few months. And so I, I've noticed that you and AMCI too, you've made some changes to the deal over the last few months to make sure that committed capital is secured. Just could you get into a, a bit about that and what this uh, this deal is going to bring uh, that is completely spoken for in terms of committed capital and, uh, and how important it's been to be, I guess, proactive in this market. Yeah, and and you're right. There's been an implosion of SPACs, especially, uh, well, it's actually an implosion in the market when looking at growth companies and growth stocks, right? And that's where we fit. We believe our fundamentals are sound. And so we believe the time is right. Um, I think the other thing that's important to note is we brought in extensive infrastructure dollars with our partnership with Brookfield. Great. And then how much is still changing on the technology side of your business? And what are you most excited for in that department? Well, I think the fundamental technology that allows us to use all the different gases and all the different waste resources to make ethanol, check the box. We're constantly improving it, right? We're improving our bioreactor. We're we're making it more efficient. We're improving our water recycling. All of the things that make the carbon and the water footprint smaller. But what I am excited about is we have developed the capability to genetically modify our organism so that we can make other molecules, other chemicals. So while today we're focused on ethanol, we're learning how to make other molecules directly like acetone. All acrylics are made with acetone, like propanol. Medical equipment that's plastic is usually made with polypropylene. So there's this massive growth opportunity by not making ethanol, but by making all these other molecules. So we are excited about what we can do. But more importantly, to be honest, we're excited that we can do it commercially. Yeah, I mean, it, it strikes me how position that Lanza Tech gets to put itself in that there it feels like there's strong incentives on both your supply side and on your uh, kind of end consumer side in terms of companies to to be involved in more of this and and to continue to to work with you essentially to to clean up their own balance sheet uh, when it comes to the environment. And so, I mean, do you view that as being a, a situation where you're having difficulty keeping up with that demand, or um, you know, there's been scrutiny about ESG uh, and and how great those numbers really are for companies? Just sort of what are those conversations like and how, how are you kind of meeting the, I guess, the demand you're feeling? We've set up over the past few years as we built our first commercial plants, the infrastructure to deliver the micro. So we have a micro manufacturing facility. We've developed the ability to deliver a lot of engineering packages in parallel. And not because we build massive teams, but because we've laid the infrastructure to be able to replicate things. And, and so throw as many plants at me as you want. We'll, we'll get them built. Okay, we can do it. We've got the infrastructure to do that. The ESG conversation is quite interesting, right? Because the question is, what are you actually doing? And especially when you're starting to buy credits or something to make up for something you're doing. And so the difference with us is we're actually doing the carbon capture and use, right? And so really that ESG conversation is very different. And it just comes down to what is the life cycle of this specific plant at this specific location. So our opportunity space is clear, especially as people start to get concerned about greenwashing and all of these things. We're actually building something. We're actually 
building plants that reduce carbon footprint and in industrial facilities that take manufactured goods and convert them back into manufactured goods, right? And, and this whole circular economy, we're just at the beginning of that. And I mean, it's really exciting to see what's possible. Great. And, and do you have any way of measuring, I guess, we, we've talked to companies about, for instance, Grove Collaborative has been on the, the podcast talking about how they're they're working to, to replace single-use plastic in, in the CPG space with glass bottles and other sustainable materials. But again, that is still using something that is kind of created new and, and use it. But you're doing the interesting thing of repurposing something that would have normally been waste or a pollutant and making something out of that. Do you have a, a sort of a number to put on sort of what that percentage is or what, what, what you're really saving? there at the end of it you know what if, if you sequester the carbon in a product like apparel you, you actually have a negative life cycle right because you're actually capturing carbon to make something if you sequester it and recycle it into aviation fuel you still have some co2 emissions on the back end right now our goal is to impact we think 10 to 15 percent of global carbon emissions could be displaced in this way however we're at point one of that. So the potential is large and we're just at the beginning. Great. Well, thanks so much for being on. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me.